Welcome to the Heart of Dating podcast. Hey, it's Kate. I'm so glad you could join us this week as we try to untangle the ever so ambiguous world of dating as a Christian. Over here on Heart of Dating, we get real as we answer some tough questions and uncover transformative ways to approach Christian dating. Oh, and you better believe we have some laughs along the way, because last time I checked, the struggle is hashtag real. You know what I'm saying? Now, let's get to the heart of the matter. Hey friends, it's your girl Kay, and we are in a season break, but we are still launching awesome episodes for you, preparing for season 11 of the Heart of Dating podcast, which we can't wait for. Well, today we're talking about sexuality, modesty, and purity culture with Kat Harris. It is a great conversation. Kat wrote an amazing book called Sexless in the City. I actually endorse this book. I love this book. And we talk about how there's a difference between sexual desire and a desire for sex. That's a really cool thing that we break down in this episode. We also talk about modesty. We talk about purity culture. We talk about a lot of different things in this episode that I think is really, really interesting. And then we also talk about masturbation. And Kat's perspective is a little bit different than my perspective, but I do love actually opening up dialogue for different perspectives. So really, really interesting. I hope you guys listen to this episode and enjoy it. And also, if you really enjoy it, you should go and purchase Kat's book, Sexless in the City, because it is phenomenal. I love it. Also, the title is so fun. Okay, guys, are you interested in getting a free guide and how to show interest to the person you might like? Come on now. We have a ton of free resources on our website and you can get our how to show interest guide by going to heartofdating.com forward slash show interest. That's heartofdating.com forward slash show interest. This is a free guide. It'll be sent to your email and We love this guide. It's one of our top most popular guides outside of our other most popular guide right now, which is our core values guide. So if you want this guide, if you want to, you know, drop a hanky on that cutie you've been seeing but don't know how to do it, download this guide and it will give you some helpful tips to make that happen. And lastly, if you like this podcast, would you consider ranking it and writing us a review specifically on iTunes, but it could also be Spotify or wherever you want. It would just really help us to continue to get discovered. We are cooking up some awesome stuff for season 11. I can't wait for season 11 of the podcast to get here. But until then, enjoy this awesome conversation with the one and only Kat Harris. Okay, we have Kat Harris on the podcast. Girl, welcome back. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh, Kate. Do you think do you think your heart of dating crew is sick of me yet? <laughs> No. I hope not. <laughs> if not, then if they are, then I'm sorry, y'all. You need to buckle up because this is a whole new conversation for Kat and I. I am so excited. However, I was thinking back, Kat, to our first interview ever on Heart of Dating, and we did talk about being like sexless in the city a little bit. I mean, I was thinking about that. But oh, really? this is pre-you writing the book. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Oh, how the turntables. I know. <laughs> no idea three years ago when you came on that right? like the this would be the book that you are now writing today, right? Or that oh you've written. <laughs> so crazy. You as well. I mean, your book just came out. I mean, so I think one thing that's so fun about our stories is just how God just aligned us in friendship at such a pivotal point in both of our lives. We start our podcast within a few weeks of each other. We get our book deals within a few weeks of each other. Yep. And here we are. We date. We both coach each other. We both have freakouts on each other. We yeah. support each other. And yeah, I'm just Our so names grateful. are like only one letter apart between Kate and Kat, right? Like Kate literally. and Kat. And we sometimes share an assistant, Kitty. Yeah. So, so Kate, Kat, Kitty. Oh my gosh. We all basically have the same name. They're all like derivatives of each other. That's, I, I mean, you said this, I think at my book launch party, you're like, we're probably going to get married the same month, you know? Oh my like- gosh. I think I just, we're, I'm calling it right here. It's I'm on public it. record on Heart of Dating. Kate Warman and Kat Harris will be getting married. Let's just say the same month. Because I definitely, month. I want to be able to go to your wedding, you know? <laughs> yeah. We're going to get married on the same weekend. Uh, that wouldn't be kind of us, you know? Like, yeah. I'm going to your wedding too. I'm already inviting myself. <laughs> well, Kat, I'm so, so pumped for our conversation today. 
you know, you've been on the show before. People are familiar with you, but I'm really, girl, I could not be more freaking excited about your book and for people to get this in your hands, which while we're launching this episode, your book has just been released into the world. I am like so, so, so excited. All the countless hours that I know you've spent and poured over researching this book and diving into the depths of your own story to write it. And we've talked about it the whole journey. Book writing is not easy and especially not easy. Like I wrote a book like on rejection. Who wants to write a book on rejection? But then you you wrote a book about sex and sexuality and one of the biggest hot topics in the church, I would say, you know? So, uh, okay. Uh, how are you feeling about it? Tell us what the name of the book is and how you're feeling now that it's out. Yeah. So the book is called Sexless in the City, a sometimes sassy, sometimes painful, always honest look at dating, desire, and sex. And oh my gosh, how do I feel that it's out in the world? I feel wonderful. I am freaking out. I feel like I'm walking around the street naked all the time. That's how vulnerable it feels. I feel excited at the idea of people colliding with the book and experiencing freedom from shame, experiencing digging into their own stories and the own narratives that they were given about sexuality and gender roles and things like masturbation, all the things I, my, basically how I live my life, you know, this Kate, if there's an elephant in the room, we're talking about that elephant. Oh, for so sure. this is a, this book, maybe it should be called the, I don't know, the, the room of the room of elephants room, <laughs> the I, elephant any room sort of all the elephants being button. exposed. <laughs> yes, exactly. Any sort of hot button question that I had about God and sex and everything in between, I really unpack in this book. So I feel relieved that it's out there um, and excited, but also it's just, it's vulnerable. You know that it's like, so vulnerable. Oh my, yeah. oh my gosh, so vulnerable and incredible. And I just commend you. I watching you write this book and now having had a chance to actually read the book, like I could not be more proud of you and could not be more of an advocate to say, everybody listening, you need to get this book. There is so much pain, so much shame, so much nuance to these conversations around sex and our sexual desire. And it's just, oh girl, like it is, I only touched on it a very little bit in my book book. And so, and, but like even the chapter I wrote on sexual shame just made me so excited about this topic because it's so nuanced and layered and you just unpack it so beautifully in your book. Um, so before we get into this really amazing conversation we're about to have, I want to read something, uh, that you wrote in your introduction, which I think really just sets the stage for our conversation today and a little bit about your heart for writing this book. So I'm going to read, uh, what you wrote. (laughs) I was sick of hearing mostly male pastors teach about waiting until marriage to have sex and doing it God's way when most of them got married in their early 20s and had no idea what it was like to actually abstain from sex for decades. I was even more sick of many male pastors telling me to live a life of purity when behind closed doors they themselves weren't. It's not that what they were saying wasn't necessarily true. It's just they had no idea what it was really like to date and be single in today's culture. And to be frank, I wanted to hear from someone who was actually single in her 30s or beyond walking the walk. So Kat, girl, that is exactly what you did, okay? (laughs) Oh my gosh, I did it. We're doing it. We're doing it. It's happening. (laughs) But also I think people listening are like, yes, amen. I mean, how many pastors do we hear who are like, I don't know, 40, 50, who are like, yes, abstain from sex. And I got married at 21, right? Oh my gosh, yes. Oh my gosh. Cool. And yes, I, I... Oh my gosh. Can I just say something that we, yeah. you're probably going to have to take out? <laughs> say it. Just say it. At least. Okay, great. So here it is. Is Even in that, I recently heard a sermon from a woman who got married really young. And she said that even holding hands with someone that doesn't end up being your husband can be something that is sinful. And then I found oh out gosh, she got yeah. married when she was a teenager. And then I was like, oh, okay. Well, you don't get to tell me what I can and can't do because oh I'm 35 gosh. here, folks. And so, yeah. yeah, I think so much of the heart behind what I wanted to do was let's actually hear from people who are walking this out. For me, this book isn't just theology. It's not theory. It's my life. I am 35 years old and I am still currently single. And I think 
I mean, so much has happened in the last few years. We are on the heels of the Me Too movement, the the heels of a pandemic, the heels yeah. of the BLM movement. And there's we have this pressure cooker right now. And then on top of that, yeah. throughout the pandemic, pastor after pastor being exposed yes. for addiction. Oh. And I just, something didn't break in me, but I feel as though something has awakened in me in the last few years of we have to have honest conversations about sex and desire and dating that's rooted not in shame or not in fear or condemnation, like so much of the purity culture and so much of the church message is, but with empathy and with nuance and with approaching each other with kindness and also having space for each other to seek God in this area of our lives. I think we were given a big set of rules, you know, don't touch his butt, don't have sex, girls wear fingertip length shorts. And then that was that. And I think we're living right now in the fallout of of what happens when we're given a set of rules that are often rooted in shame in hopes of producing conformity. Like that doesn't work. The Jesus way is love and relationship and story that propel us to transformation. Yeah, actually, that's one of my questions. So maybe we can unpack that more. But how does the way of Jesus differ from what popular culture and the church offer in regard to our identity and sexuality? Because you just touched on it, but this is so Mm -hmm. pivotal. Like the way of Jesus is different from popular culture, but also from even what the church in many ways is offering. What do you think? Uh, Absolutely. And I think what Jesus always did. Jesus always get, Jesus is the king of the third option. Yeah. Jesus was constantly saying things like, you may have heard it said this, but I say to you this. That was sort of the repeated thought throughout the Sermon on the Mount. And what Jesus was doing was acknowledging the cultural and societal norms and acknowledging the the religious norms, the norms from Hebrew and Jewish culture. And then he was saying, okay, so there, that was that, and that was that, and now here's my way. So Jesus is always acknowledging almost the extreme side of both pendulums and then stepping somewhere in the middle or somewhere altogether new or in the gray or in the nuance. And so when I really began to see that that was the way of Jesus was stepping into the nuance and layers and stepping into relationship and leading with love, then I said, okay, so what's the, what's the current message of culture? Yeah. And it seems as though the current message of culture is that let's do what feels good. Let's live our truth. If it, if you're hungry, eat it. If you want to have, if you want to have sex, go get it, go swipe on that app and get what you want, get yours. Mm-hmm. And in and if that, it doesn't feel good, then just if it once you're done with it, you're done with it and you dispose of it really quickly. Right, right. And I think we also have this message of instant gratification. Um, I want what I want when I want it, and I want it yesterday, and I'm entitled to have it that way. We're such a culture of wanting things right now. And so I think all of this produces an ethos saying the message underneath those messages are, I am my desire. That's who I am. I'm led by my desire. I My desire is driving the ship. And so basically underneath that is that I am the sum of my urges. So if I want to have sex, then that's what I have to do. That's what I get to do. So cultural message, I believe, is one that says I am my desire. Now, the other side of that pendulum would be, I believe, to be the the message of the church, which often the church message has been to no matter what, shut down your desire. Your yep. desire is bad. Your body is bad. Mm. Shut everything down. Put it in a nice little neat box on a shelf. And then one day that may or may not ever happen <laughs> on your wedding day, take that box out, flip that switch. And all of a sudden, you're supposed to be a lady in the street, but a freak in the bed. Right. <laughs> and so the the culture is screaming do what do whatever you want lead with your desire and the church says shut down your desire and i think in that what both parties have done is made sex ultimate 
So culture, it's it's overt, right? Like we know sex sells, but the church is a little bit more subtle. And why do I think the message of the church often revolves around sex? Well, because we try so hard not to make it a thing that we've made it the thing. Yes. You know what I mean? It's like we say, don't think about a purple hippo. Don't think about a purple hippo. What's (laughs) the only thing I'm going to think about? (laughs) Is the purple hippo. The purple hippo. And so I actually think the message of the church and the culture actually aren't too far from each other. Mm. One just has different PR. (laughs) But And one leads with shame and the other says there's no shame. But we actually have two sides of the same coin. Yeah, and then wow. I think what the way, how the way of Jesus differs is we go very we go back to the Genesis story of the of creation and Genesis one twenty six through thirty one. God says, "Let us make humans in our image and our likeness." And distinct from everything else in creation, God makes humans like God. That doesn't mean we are God, that's pantheism, but it means that we have the divine God image in us. And then when God created humans, as opposed to saying we are good, everything else in creation was good. Humans were very good. So we have a a few distinct things going on. One is that there's a distinction between animals and humans. Why is that important? Because Animals are actually the sum of their desires. Yeah. They want something, they go after it. (laughs) They are, you go after the sum of your urges. But in the Genesis account, we see humans are distinct from animals in that way. So actually, I am not my identity. I'm actually, and then also, I'm not the absence of my desire. The God message, the Jesus message is the beginning, the core of the story is that I am a child of God. That's who I am. That's my identity. My identity isn't my desire or the lack thereof. It's that I'm made in the image of God and God called me very good. And so that what what that what we see in that is that God didn't create us to be compartmentalized beings because we see in Old Testament in the Shema and in the New Testament to love our love the God, love our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So there's a holistic invitation to love God there. And so that means that my sexuality and my desire isn't who I am, but it is a part of the human experience. So I think the way of Jesus is that first and foremost, my identity is not my sexuality. My identity is that I'm made in the image of God. And secondary to that, that part of being a human is being a sexual being, and it's not the absence of that. So then if that's true, there has to be a way that regardless of relationship status, we can embrace being a sexual being regardless of our relationship status. Yeah, that's that's the part. I mean, you just broke it down so beautifully, but you hear a lot of pastors are like, sex is great. It's so beautiful. It's wonderful in marriage. So don't have it before marriage because if you do, you will die. I mean, they don't mm-hmm. say it that dramatically, but that is like the messaging. And then you hear it. They're like, sex is so great. And I'm like, okay, but again, it's like, are we supposed to just flip a switch? How does this happen? So that begs the question, how do we start? And I love this next question I'm about to ask you because you and I have talked about this like personally in our own lives, like at length, like even as single women in our 30s, like how how do we do this? So, you know, that's the person listening. I think if I could get one major question on this other than what should be my boundaries with somebody, it's, you know, what do I do with my sexuality, my sexual desire? If I am deciding to not have sex before marriage, what do I do? How do I come into oneness with my sexual desire in this time so that it's not compartmental? and shoved down. Um, but so that it also, it doesn't become, you know, the way of culture, which is like, I'm, I'm accessing it and therefore I have no control over it. You know, what is that? How do we do it? Oh my gosh. I'm just so glad that we're having this conversation. I think it's so needed. And I think before we kind of get to the practical, I need to unpack a few things. Yeah. And the first is there's a difference between sexual desire and desire for sex. Hmm. But often in the church and in culture, we've made them one and the same. So we've said sexual desire is desire for sex. And sexuality can only be expressed or the ultimate expression of sexuality is sex, sex and orgasm. And so I think when we have when we have that view of sexuality, I think it puts so much pressure 
on us that the only way, the only thing we can do with all of this angst, all of this desire, all this passion for sexual desire and desire for sex, the only way for that to be expressed is through this one act. Oh my gosh, so much pressure. Right. Kind of how so many of us put so much pressure on finding the one. Oh my gosh. We put all that pressure on the one that that one person will never be able to live up to our expectations. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think the first thing we have to do is zoom out and expand our vision for what sexuality is. So one of the things I like to say is that if sexuality were a book, sex and physical intimacy would be one chapter. Mm, wow. So then what is sexuality? If is if it isn't just sex then what what is it? Well, an incredible book is Redeeming Sex by Deborah Hirsch and in it she offers that sexuality is the human desire that we all have to connect outside of ourselves with other people. That means that okay, yeah, body parts touching is a part of that. Like that's the thing within us that gets us outside of ourselves to want to go make out with our person or want to go have sex. That is sexuality, but it's actually just a much bigger and broader desire to connect outside of ourselves with other people. It's that thing in us that says, you know what, maybe I won't watch um, another, maybe I won't do a 12 hour Netflix binge today. Maybe I'll go and hang out with those people. So that's why I say if sexuality were a book, Sex and physical intimacy would be one chapter. So then how do we embrace our sexual desire and how, like when we feel turned on or there's natural urges and just to get real practical, Kate, I think a few things, and I'll kind of go through these quickly. um, But I would say number one, acknowledge your desire. Don't pretend that it's not there. Okay. Wow. I'm feeling turned on right now. I'm feeling my sexual desire. Acknowledge it. And then express gratitude for your sexual desire. Wow, God, thank you so much for creating my body in such a way that it feels things. God, thank you so much that you created sexual desire, that you created my body, and that it operates in such a unique way. Thank you so much. And so I think why it's so important to start with the acknowledgement and the gratitude is because from the get-go, we're saying shame. You have no, you have no space in this conversation. And so then after that, I allow, allow those feelings to activate intercession and prayer in your life. Sexual desire was created by God. And so in that, there's something even in that, that reflects the God image. So activate intersection, intercession. What comes up for you when you feel turned on? What do you want? Do you, does it make you want to have sex? Does it make you want to get married? Does it make you want to go dance on a table? Whatever it is, and talk to God about that. God is the creator of the whole thing. And I think historically, I know I felt so much shame over my sexual desire for so long that it was like the thing I didn't want to talk to about God. Because yep. I was like, ah, oh, this is embarrassing. <laughs> but yeah. actually, it's not at all embarrassing because God made it. And then outside of, you know, I don't want to just say, well, if you embrace your sexuality, just pray about it, guys. Um, (laughs) Let's get even more practical. A huge way to embrace your sexuality is to start practicing the art of being present. And another term for the practice of being present and alive to your senses is sensuality. And I think often for me, I thought, oh, sensuality means like wearing sexy nightgowns and candles. Right. Same. Yeah, 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 yeah. (laughs) Like, ooh, oh, it's so sensual. Oh, my gosh. It can mean that. It can mean that. But really, it's the practice of being present and the practice of being alive to your senses. And so if that is a more expanded view of sex or sensuality, let's think about in the bedroom, what makes it, one of the things that makes a sexual experience pleasurable and beautiful is the is the discipline to be present. So not thinking about, oh my gosh, I need to pay those, pay those bills today, but no, let me be present in this moment. So how can we practice sensuality outside of the bedroom? I think number one way, put your phone away. Yeah. <laughs> put your phone away. Yeah. Be present to the moment at hand. I think we are such a distracted culture. We don't know how to be present. And 
I mean, I speak this even to myself when I ask this question. When was the last time you watched a TV show and didn't check your phone at least once? <laughs> Never. The <laughs> same. I'm like, oh my gosh, right. I constantly challenge myself with that. Yeah, yeah. Another way to practice sensuality is host a dinner and invite friends over and have everyone leave their phones in a bowl at the door and then be present with each other, enjoying the senses of a beautiful dinner, good wine, good music. Mm, The smell of candles being lit in the room and just the presence and the aroma. I love that. Yeah. So being being present. And then I think um, two more practical things is sex makes babies, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like that's a byproduct of sex. Mm -hmm. And so let's again, zoom out of that. What's the principle there is that Sex is this ultimate form of collaboration and intimacy with another human being that has the possibility of creating new life in the world. So in that, with my sexual desire, I can have this passion and eroticism for life that leads me to connect with other people and create new things and put them out in the world. You and I are connected to our sexual desire right now because we are in collaboration creating a new conversation and putting it out in the world. So what's something you want to do? Do you want to start a podcast? Do you want to start a nonprofit? Do you want to have dinner parties? Do you want to start a band? Have a passion for life that leads you outside of yourself to connect with other people and put new things out there in the world. Um, And then finally, Another huge way that we experience pleasure in the bedroom is from is to practice embodiment. And what I mean by that is going from your head to your heart. Now again, part of this experience of being in the moment and being being connected to our being present is saying, okay, I need to like leave leave my to-do list at the door and be connected to my body so that then I can be connected to this other person's body. So then how do we practice embodiment and how do we do that outside of the bedroom? Really practically working out, yoga, practicing breath work, box breathing, (laughs) dancing, having (laughs) dance parties, literally. And I know you and I have both done this, Kate. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm so in my head right now. I need to step away from my desk and do the class online. Exactly. That I love it. You know, <laughs> yes. or I'm just going to put on some Beyonce music and dance. And it's yes. like I get into my body and then things, maybe the thing I was stuck on actually becomes more clear. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. But yeah. I know. I just through, I, I feel like I'm trying so like, hard to get through so much content in such little time. So I feel I like I'm throwing so much at you. No, this is great. Um, I'm hoping people are taking notes. I'm listening and nodding my head over here because for me on this journey, I'm even walking alongside of you and being friends with you and working on my own journey to move through some of these layers. Like, yeah, what does it look like to be more embodied? What does it look like to be more in touch with my body? And a huge thing you and I have talked about this year is just like trusting your gut. And in order to do that, you have to be connected to your body. You have to know what your body is saying. And in order for me to be able to do that, it's what does it look like to breathe? What does it look like to notice the sensations in my body? And all of those things are part of what you're talking about as well. And it's, it's so beautiful when we start on that process. But what's sad to me and what's so weird to me is that we have, just as a side note here, as Christians, we've like put taboos on these words, like even embodiment, people have taboos on that word, you know? And it's like, oh my gosh. I mean, and even with mental health, like people put taboos on that. I'm like, what a beautiful thing though, to be, Mm. to, to remove these taboos and say, why are, why are they even there? Is that, is is that really what God desired for us to like put a label on whatever thing it is? And I think what you're doing in your book, Kat, is you're inviting people in this, into a space to say, Hey guys, yeah, you've believed this black and white narrative for so long and it's so much more gray and nuanced and beautiful than we've made it, you know? And there's an ability to actually step into the gray also with practicality, like you're saying right now, which I think is so helpful because we do need direction and how yeah. to actually, you know, deconstruct, but then how do we live it out as you're talking about? 
Yes. And I think you made such a good point, Kate, that I I wanted, I forgot to say something. Mm. It it can feel, what do we, what do, it can feel weird. What does embodiment even mean? So let me just make it real practical there. When we believe this idea that we need to shut down our desire until one day when part of what happens is we shut down part of what it means to be human, right? Mm -hmm. And so in that we compartmentalize the human experience. When we compartmentalize ourselves, so when I put my uh, my little box on the shelf of careers over here, relationships are over here, friendship is over here, who I am at church is over here, we have all these different personas. Essentially, what we're doing is disassociating from our bodies. Yeah, wow. So we hear that word disassociation. That's what's happening when we compartmentalize as we're disassociating. And so embodiment is kind of going back to this invitation of, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength instead of just over here with your mind when you're at Bible study, worship God. (laughs) Just over here when you're with your friends that you only talk about this stuff when you're there. No, like the invitation of Jesus is to be embodied, to have this holistic experience. And so when we talk about even just breathing, like put a put a timer on for three minutes and just inhale for four counts and exhale for four counts and maybe inhale the word be and exhale the word still from the verse and be still and know that I am God. And notice what happens when you just have a few minutes where you are focusing on your breath. God exhaled creation into existence and then breathed the breath of life into humanity. So when we pause and get out of our heads and focus on our breath and our body, we're connecting to the whole reason why we even exist is because of our breath and God breathing the breath of life into us. Yeah. Wow. So good. What's up, fam? It's JJ. This is my first time doing this, so I hope you guys like it. If not... Just kick me off, okay? And we'll get Kate and Lovey and Teddy back on here. But I want to tell you guys about literally probably my favorite thing to come home to. When I come home and there's a box from HelloFresh at the front door, you have no idea how pumped up I get. I'm actually the one who does the cooking in this house. I've been trained by TikTok. I go buy some really boring stuff and I try. There's nothing like HelloFresh because they actually have these seasonings and sauces that I would never think to buy or create at my fingertips. So literally all I do is follow their instructions and I have over 40 recipes every single week to choose from. Kate's a happy camper. I'm a happy camper because quite frankly, I'm a little bit lazy. But when that box comes in and I get that key lime pie or the bratwurst bar, I feel so good. It's so nice to just be lazy, have the box come to my front door, and I just whip it up in the kitchen like I'm some chef. Kate and I love to host, and my superpower, my secret, don't tell anybody because I don't tell them at the dinner table, is I use Green Chef, which, by the way, is owned by HelloFresh now, which means we have even more options to choose from. But when they're going crazy, complimenting me at the dinner table, which feels so good, I don't tell them, but my secret is I'm just using HelloFresh and Green Chef back in the kitchen, whipping up some great stuff. And you guys know I am the frugal one. I am the budget hawk. So I got you. We actually have a 50% off code plus free shipping for you guys. To use that, you go to HelloFresh.com slash heartofdating50. HelloFresh.com slash heartofdating50. And then the code is just heartofdating50. So that's it, y'all. Let me know what you think. I'm telling you, like, this doesn't even feel like an app for me because I love the HelloFresh and Green Chef kits so much. Enjoy it. Let me know what you guys think. And we will see you soon. Oh, Kat, I mean, I have so many amazing questions to continue to ask you and I'm so excited, but um, really quickly, we could talk about this for a whole podcast episode, but you talk in your book about masturbation. I love, I love this chapter and we don't have time to go into the depth of this, though you did an incredible talk on this in our singled out conference earlier this year, which was so good. And you dove in for, I think, 40 minutes. I was like, yes, girl, you gave like a keynote. It was amazing. You came so prepared and I just 
love, I was here for it. Okay. <laughs> I love it. Um, but as we're talking about this, I kind of want to boil it down because masturbation is obviously a very taboo word. And I just want to kind of go in the direction of you and I have talked about this. When you have the desire to want to masturbate, for example, maybe there's something else underneath that. Can we can we break that down? Because I think that would be helpful for people listening. I think it is it's unfair to say that if you're a Christian, you're never gonna have the the desire to masturbate, right? Like I mean, like yeah. we just I mean, yeah. <laughs> one of the again, one of the most human experiences is to feel sexual desire and to feel arousal and to feel turned on. And I think that's why even in the previous question, you asked me, how do I embrace my sexuality? The first thing I do is acknowledge it, express gratitude for it, and then bring it to God. So then when I have the physical desire to masturbate, then let me acknowledge that desire. So instead of shaming that desire, instead of from right outside of the gate saying, you gross, I shouldn't want to do that. We're shaming ourselves. And then we shame ourselves. And when we say we shouldn't want something, we dismiss the reality of where our heart actually is. So first acknowledge that desire, bring God into it. God, I'm really feeling like I want to experience pleasure and I want to experience self-pleasure. How then do I want to move forward? And God, is there an invitation for me here? And I think from there, we get to be curious. Why do I feel turned on right now? Is it because I just watched a bunch of porn and I want to escape into the fantasy land of my mind and experience pleasure that way? Am I wanting to masturbate because I'm not wanting to deal with something in my life? I'm feeling stressed and this has become a coping mechanism for me. Am I wanting to masturbate because I'm having a little bit of social anxiety going to that party. And I have a habit now that, okay, I'll feel better or I'll be able to be more present if I masturbate before going out with friends. Or is it, oh, it's actually just a Tuesday afternoon and I'm feeling the very normal human experience of being turned on and I want to experience pleasure. I think when we pause and get curious about the why, then we can, from a more authentic place, answer the question of, do is, is masturbation a sin in this right. moment for me? Because yeah. I know you and I have talked about it. Scripture actually isn't specific about masturbation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Scripture is specific about lust. And, and I am not necessarily convinced that masturbation is mutually exclusive with lust, fantasy, or pornography. And so I think it's why we kind of need to pause and say, how did I get here? And we need to do this with everything, right? So, oh man, I want to, I'm bored right now. I want to open up Instagram. Well, it's one thing to be on Instagram for five minutes. And then you're like, wow, I've been on Instagram for (laughs) <laughs> or the the when Apple sends you your your daily average of oh, oh wow <laughs> man I averaged eight hours a day <laughs> this week <laughs> you know okay so oh my gosh Instagram isn't evil Netflix isn't evil alcohol isn't evil none of those things aren't evil in and of themselves but it's the heart with which I approach each of those things so I I actually don't think masturbation is much different. I think there can be healthy ways where we can experience and explore our bodies in a way that we don't escape to fantasy land or porn or lust or numb out. I I don't think that's always the answer. I think it's definitely a possibility, but I think just there are ways that we can drink alcohol and it be a beautiful experience. I think there's also ways that we can experience pleasure and it also be a connected experience. Yeah. Yeah. And and just be a vulnerability moment here for everyone who's listening. Like, yeah, you guys, as a single woman in my thirties, this, I am not, I, I am in this like conversation, like meaning that I struggle with this for sure. And this has been something I've wrestled with where in the past I've been like, oh my gosh, I have that desire. That's so dirty. That's so gross. Like, and I remember a few years ago, I found out a friend of mine was really struggling with it. And she was like, I'm trying to take a year off of touching myself at all. And I was like, oh my gosh, like how, why are you even doing that? Not like, why are you taking the year off? Like, why are you so tempted by it? Like it was 
odd for me because I had put it so much in a box. And in more recent years, um, it has become more of a struggle for me. And what I've noticed in the moments where I may feel tempted and that desire comes up, I've asked the questions that you're saying, Kat, like, what am I really desiring here? Is it that I just feel, want to feel seen? I want connection. I want intimacy of some kind. And what would it look like to maybe call a friend right now and just share with them like, Hey, I feel disconnected today. And can I just, can we just have a conversation or what would it look like to just tell a friend of mine, like, Hey, I am just, I, I feel sad that I haven't gotten physical touch in a while. Can we, can I just have a hug with you? You know, like whatever it is. But seriously, for me, sometimes it comes down to those are the things my heart is really desiring. That's the need underneath some of the layers and that I, in the past, would have just shamed myself and never actually got to the core root of what the actual need was underneath some of the desire, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, I think it's just important to kind of go back to where one person might land is going to be different than another person. So should I ever take a sip of alcohol because I may become an alcoholic? Mm. Should I never masturbate because it might lead to fantasy land right? or it might lead to addiction? Mm. For one person, that may be like, oh my gosh, alcoholism runs in my family and I don't even want to go there. Right. So Mm -hmm. no, I'm not going to ever have alcohol. For another person, it's my, oh, yeah, I'm going to try this alcohol thing out. And maybe they find out, you know what? Wow, I actually am an addict. (laughs) And so I'm going to completely abstain from this. You might have other people who are able to have one or two drinks and drink socially. And it can be a beautifully connective community experience. Is any, any one of those people wrong? Are any one of those people not seeking God? No, it just means that we are different people on different journeys with different thresholds. So I think let's ask ourselves the same questions when it comes to conversations like masturbation. Yeah, so freaking good. And for anyone listening, we'll have to do some more follow-ups on this topic too. But Kat, I know I just want to point people also to your podcast and of course your book because you did a series on your podcast about masturbation, a two-part series, which blew up. I think it broke the internet. I listened to both <laughs> episodes more than once. I was like, this is so good. Um, you also talk about it in the single dot conference, and of course, you talk about it in your book. So I just there's so much we could go continue to unpack here, and I wish we had the time to, but I think we we covered so many good, healthy things, but I want to give people the opportunity to dive in deeper with some of those other resources. So we're not leaving them hanging as we go on to the next question. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Um, we, we can link to the masturbation yeah. series. Yeah. I have a whole long, long chapter about masturbation <laughs> and orgasms and all the things in my book. <laughs> the O word. Oh my gosh. You just said the O word. We said the M word, the O word. I mean, all the things we joke about that, but like when people look us up on the internet, they're like, <laughs> they're like Cat Harris, and it's like she talks about masturbation. It's like, like oh, well, <laughs> very interesting. Uh, okay, so in the very little time that we have left, Cat, I just want to briefly talk about modesty. And again, I think there's so much we can say here, but I love in your book that you make the nod to you know modest is hottest, and it it flashed me back to when I was 16. I remember I was going on some sort of like mission trip to Myrtle, Myrtle Beach, and I was totally fine wearing a bikini. Like my mom also let me do that, but they were like, no, you have to wear one pieces or tankinis. And when I went to pick out the tankini, cause even with a tankini, some of your midriff may show. So even, so because I had, you know, a longer torso, I had to make sure that my tankini was long enough that not even like a little centimeter of my stomach was showing. And so, um, I'm just going to read one more thing from your book here. Cause it's so powerful. You said, it makes me wonder Do we have such a low view of men that we think them incapable of self-control? And do we think men are so beneath women that they are stunted and unable to take responsibility for their own sexual desire and integrity? I happen to believe that when God created humanity, he created both men and women equally with dignity and honor. Men are just as capable, strong, and competent as women. Let's stop blame shifting and start empowering the men in our lives to be the men of vision and integrity we know God created them to be. Let's give them back what was theirs all along, the autonomy to take ownership over their sexuality. It's no wonder carrying the weight of male sexual purity has felt so crushing. It was never ours to carry. 
Um, Ooh, okay, girl. Yeah, girl. You freaking Jeez. wrote that. Okay. <laughs> I'm like reading it right now. Like I feel empowered. I'm like, let me just standing ovation to that. It is not talked about enough. And I briefly make a nod to, to the same point in chapter three, where I'm like, man, how diminishing is it? And almost dehumanizing of a man for me to say, for us to say like that he has no control at all of his sexual desire or his sexuality at all. Like, you know, so much so that it's a woman's job to mitigate all of the lust. And, you know, my story goes that this actually led me, these kinds of narratives of, you know, it's my job to make sure the brother doesn't stumble. It really, it led me, unfortunately, and very sadly and painfully into being sexually assaulted and blaming myself for that experience because I was like, well, it must be because I let him on. It must be because I did something or I wore something or maybe I was asking for it and all of those narratives. And I believed that for years and years and years. And it was actually really hard for me to even say that this was sexual assault and rape because I believed that because it was so inherent in the things I was being taught. So let's break this down just a little bit here. I think it's time that we debunk this narrative. I I love my listeners, but I know there's a lot of people that uh, they they throw around the word modesty and I'm like, oh my gosh, (laughs) because there's so many different experiences with that word. So uh, share with me a little bit about how do we re-empower men and women to be able to reframe modesty? Yeah. Well, first, I think even when we talk about man having such a low view of men and saying, oh, well, essentially boys will be boys, right? What are we saying underneath then? Underneath that, that is the narrative that we are the sum of our urges and that men specifically are the sum of their urges. So what are we saying? Boys and men are actually animals. Mm -hmm. And earlier in our conversation, that's not the way of Jesus. No, actually, I'm distinctly human. Male and female, we are distinctly human. So what happens with this conversation of modest is hottest or putting the crushing weight of male sexual integrity on the shoulders of women is we dehumanize men and we oppress women. So we've flattened both the male and female experience of what it is to be a human made in the image of God. And I think what has happened is both church and the culture has hypersexualized the female body and they've made male lust a woman's issue. As opposed to, like you just mentioned, empowering men to taking responsibility and ownership over how they show up in the world and their sexual urges. And like you just mentioned, there's only a short step from, oh, well, boys will be boys. So women, you cover up. It's a short step from there to she was asking for it, which is what promotes rape culture, silencing women, imbalanced sexual experiences in the bedroom. And that is, in my opinion, completely unbiblical, out of alignment with the heart of God. And so in that, do we throw modesty out the window? I would say not necessarily. An incredible book to read is called A Return to Modesty by Wendy Shallot. She's a Jewish philosopher and she wrote basically her, she was a, a, a big old feminist in the nineties. And essentially her big feminist moment was saying that actually one of the most empowering, freeing thing a woman can do is to cover herself or cover her body. And I will say that this book is so, it's actually, there's some of it that I'm like, oh, wow, I don't know if I agree with this. Um, cause it's, it's like very intense, but it gives a very interesting feminist perspective of how modesty could actually be an empowering thing. Mm. So for me, it's less about a conversation of modesty and more a conversation of how can both parties, how can humans, how can we honor each other with even our clothes? And so for that, I think that clothes has to do with context, context, presence, and heart. So context, is it? Is it a win for me to wear a bathing suit when I'm at the beach? Yeah, totally. Yes. Now, would I preach on a Sunday in my bikini? No, no, I wouldn't do that. Um, <laughs> would oh I gosh. wear a cute skirt and a sassy blouse out to go dancing? Yeah, you bet. Would I wear that same thing to a job interview? No. And that's not me living a duplicitous lifestyle. That's me taking into consideration the context of the environments that I'm in. Now, I think the second thing is 
presence, when we talk about the clothes we wear. I think I sometimes, I don't know, it's like you can wear an outfit or to me, I always think about the bra strap falling down my yes. shoulder. Uh, yes. It's I like remember that. you said that in your book oh. chapter. I was like, yeah, there's been so many times where I'm like, this was not the wisest thing for me to ra- yeah. wear because I'm distracted by it. Yes. And if I'm distracted by it, other people are probably distracted. Exactly. By it. Exactly. And Wendy Shallot in her book kind of talks about in the sense of how can we allow ourselves to be present to the moment at hand and not distracted by whether or not we may or may not be having a wardrobe malfunction. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was a really profound thing for me. And then heart, what's the motivation of your heart? Why do you want to post a picture of yourself in the bikini? Is it because you're really deep down wanting affirmation from someone else or you're wanting someone to think, oh man, she looks sexy in that? Or are you showing up and you're feeling confident and you feel good and you're wearing this thing because you feel beautiful in your own skin. Can It's been used as a tool of oppression, yeah. but I think it can have an opportunity when we consider the context of the situation. Is, am I, is this thing a distraction? And what is the heart behind everything I'm doing? Let's talk about it like that as opposed to you're bad, you're wrong, it's your fault, so cover your body. Like that that's not empowering to anyone. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's where it comes down to the intention. Like why, why am I doing said thing? Am I wearing this because I'm seeking attention? Am I wearing this because I need the affirmation? Am I posting this because I want all the likes? And I'm like, if I get more likes on this photo, it's because people think I'm good looking and that makes me validated. And that makes me feel like my identity is solid. Um, you know, what are we trying to get from the things that we are doing and the things that we are wearing? Uh, you say, you say this quote in your book, modesty isn't about a of uh, a set list of do's and don'ts. It's about a posture of the heart and the expression of love, love and kindness toward all people. I'm like, man, that's so beautiful and it's freeing. And it, you know, it takes the ownership on the indiv- to the individual for us to look inwards. And, you know, God looks at the heart. That is it, you know? And so it's like, well, what is my intention in wearing this or doing said thing? You know, like it really, it's, it's about me and my own specific intention. And then also, you know, we're living in love and kindness with other people. And how, what does that look like to be aware of the context of how I'm showing up and what I'm wearing in those scenarios? Right. Yeah. I think in all of it, what you and I are talking about is let's approach all of this stuff, whether it's the clothes I wear, whether I do or do not have sex outside of marriage, whether I do or do not want to have a sleepover at his house, whether I do or do not want to masturbate, whatever it is, let's approach it with a posture of humility and curiosity and nuance. And and in that, when we're when we get curious, then we can see God in a way that's like, ah, oh, not out of legalism, but God, I really want to know your heart because God cares about our hearts, not just behavior modification. Yeah, that's so good. Kat, there is so much more we could go into, but I'm just going to basically lead everyone to get your book because in your book, you go into even more. You do talk about boundaries. You do break up, break down Ephesians 5. You do talk more about masturbation. So many things that we didn't even get into today. So you guys, if you're listening and you're like, this was intriguing and challenging and life-giving and encouraging and helpful, then you need to get Kat's book like literally right now and buy it for your friends, especially if you know anyone who just is so disconnected from themselves or feels so much shame or potentially grew up in the purity culture, like, yeah, get this book for a friend and give it to them. Because I think collectively, we all need to have these conversations right now. It's so important, especially as single women. So Kat, uh, I'm going to ask you the final question and then, you know, you can tell us all the places that people can connect to you. But the final question, which you already know it, but um, what is your final nugget of dating advice? for the heart of dating people today? Oh my goodness. I would just, I would say let's use the same framework that we've been using in this conversation and and transfer that to how we show up in dating. Let's show up in dating with a posture of curiosity as opposed to let me have this legalistic list of all the things that he does need to have or she does need to have. And if they don't have it immediately off the bat, then I'm never talking to them again. Remember, a relationship with God is a relationship. There's ebbs and flows, and everyone's relationship with Jesus is going to look different. 
So instead of approaching dating with this black and white mentality, can we show up with a posture of curiosity? Can we get to know the person sitting in front of us without an agenda and trust that God will give us wisdom as we seek God and as we get to know this other human as to whether or not they are a good fit for us? So I think in that, just let's be, let's be curious. Let's be humble. Let's be kind. Let's create a culture of honor and dating as opposed to showing up with, well, is he my husband or not? Is she my wife or not? And if not, then I don't even want to talk to her. That's that's not kind. (laughs) Yeah. I love that. Ever since you and I talked about this years ago, like the posture of curiosity, I'm like, yeah, I think that transforms dating overall. Like when we can show up in all of these conversations with getting curious, you know, getting curious with how God created this person, getting curious with myself, getting curious, just let's get curious. Like instead of just, we, we so want this prescribed way of dating. And when we didn't get to talk about it, but when it comes to like, physical boundaries. I am very hesitant to ever tell anybody it should be X, Y, Z, you know, do this and don't do this because I think that's a conversation you should be having with God and getting curious with knowing yourself and knowing what your tendencies are, what your trigger points are, what has been hard for you in the past. And within that, then you can build a set of boundaries that feel holistically grounded for you and connected to yourself, your body and to God. But for me to list, sit here and say like, Hey, you know, Joe Schmo, this is what you should be doing. And these are not the things you should be doing. Don't hold hands um, or don't ever kiss, you know, like I can't do that. That's not right. It just, it flattens the whole process. And I think that's what we've done so long in this dating conversation. Absolutely. 100%. And, and within that, when we do that, we, we dismiss just how colorful and unique God has created humanity and, and what might be a win for one person might be a real loss for another person. And what might be, you know, someone's dream over here. I mean, I love a perfect day for me is being out in the sun all day and working out and sweating and having dance parties. That might seem like the worst thing ever to another human. And so is, are either of us wrong? No. And I'm not proposing like live, we're all in a, my truth culture. No, but let's have a posture of curiosity and humility when we show up in the world. And I think it will only bless us and bless our relationships and create more openness and kindness in our interactions with ourselves, with God and each other. Yeah. So good, Kat. Oh, I love you, girl. Okay. Love Your you. book is out right now and people can get it like everywhere, right? I'm everywhere. Sure. Yeah. Yep. Isn't that fun to say? You can get the book wherever books are sold. Like <laughs> it's crazy. Amazon, Kindle, Audible. If you if you are not tired of hearing my voice yet, you can yes. download me reading my book out loud to you. Heck yeah, <laughs> I can't wait to listen to the Audible version, girl. I mean, I've read the actual version. I'm like, now I want to listen to you saying it because it's so fun. I want to hear the sass and I want to hear the story <laughs> and the emotion. Uh, and how do people connect with you on Instagram or anything else you have going on? For sure. So website and social media is The Refined Woman. My podcast is The Refined Collective. Mm-hmm. All things book-related, sexlessinthecitybook.com. Yes. All right, my friend. I love you so much. Thank you for having this convo with us today. <laughs> I love you. Talk to you soon. Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things. Da, 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 da. I told you we were talking about sex today, and we definitely did. I'm so grateful for Kat and all of her truth and honesty and how she just shares her wisdom with her story and all the research that she has learned, both through her theology and biblical understanding, as well as research from other resources. It's absolutely incredible. Her book is so powerful. If this conversation didn't convince you to go pick up her book, let me just, again, put it out there. Go get a copy of her book, Sexless in the City. It's available right now on Amazon and wherever books are sold. You can go to sexlessinthecitybook.com as well. And I also got to say this, you guys, releasing a book for the first time is one of the most vulnerable things you can do. 
and I could not encourage you more to just support her in this process. She really has poured her heart and soul into making this book the most powerful for so many people. And it is not easy to go into this topic of sex, okay? Especially in the Christian church. It really is not. It's so nuanced. We all have our own opinions. There's so much shame to debunk. And Kat did so with so much grace and tenacity, courage, and boldness. This book is going to help you and it's going to transform your life. Thank you so much to Kat. Love you, girl. If you're listening right now, you're one of my favorite people and I am so freaking proud of you. All right, that's it for today's episode, you guys. Next week, we are going right back into our Heart of Dating Select episodes that feature content that are surrounding the intersection of faith and mental health. So we'll see you next week. This show is part of the Converge Podcast Network.